RT8K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Guests and staff at a Moncock Hotel are being moved into quarantine after another coronavirus infection there. The government extends its territory-wide testing programme and a civil servant is arrested on suspicion of conspiring to kill police officers. Health officials say 20 people at a Moncock Hotel are being put into quarantine after two more guests there tested positive for coronavirus. Two elderly people who'd been staying at the Metro Park Hotel were found to have the virus earlier this week, and one of them has since died in hospital. Here's Dr Chuang Shuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection. They will put all those other residents in, in the same floor as close contact. So around 9 or 10 rooms will be uh, evacuated because the other rooms are not occupied. And also those um, workers who work who have worked in the that floor will be uh, quarantined, put under quarantine. So maybe around 20 or so persons will need to be quarantined. Meanwhile, the hospital authority says around a dozen people who provided samples for COVID tests are being asked to do them again after a box of specimens disappeared from an outpatient clinic in Chunkwano. The authority says an elderly man took the box to use it to shield himself from the rain and it was later found dumped in a car park. The territory-wide coronavirus testing that began on Tuesday is going to be extended for an extra four days until next Friday, with the government citing high public demand for the free service. It says around 953,000 people have signed up so far, and around 656,000 have already been tested. Francis Sitt reports. Officials said the testing program has proved popular, with more than 20 of the 140 or so sample collection centres across the city fully booked for a whole week, even after extra appointment slots were added. So, rather than ending this Monday as originally envisaged, the scheme is being extended for another four days, with a further extension also possible. But only a handful of infections have been caught thanks to the program so far, so is the massive exercise worth it? Health Secretary Sophia Chan says it is. This is very important for the control and prevention of the entire epidemic in terms of our coming up measures and also important for us to prepare for the next wave in the winter. I think it is very worthwhile, even if we can find one positive case, and I think there may be more, that we understand better the situation, even if it is a negative number, that it is also an important number for us to understand. Civil Service Minister Patrick Nib, who's in charge of the scheme, says it's too early to say how much the whole thing has cost. But he says how effective it is can't be judged solely on how many infected people it finds, but on how it helps bring an end to the city's outbreaks. Hong Kong confirmed a total of 12 new coronavirus cases today, including two through the free testing programme. Five of the infections involved people returning to the SAR from overseas. A civil servant has been arrested on suspicion of conspiring with other people to murder police officers. The force says the 25-year-old woman, who works for the Office of the Government Chief Information Officer, is suspected of posting messages online threatening to use knives to kill off-duty police officers. Here's Superintendent Wilson Tam from the Cyber Security and Technology Crime Bureau. We believe that the arrested female may have committed the offence of conspiring or soliciting to commit murder. In addition, she may have also violated the interim injunction order of the High Court 
prohibiting the promotion, encouragement and incitement of the use or threat of violence through the internet. I'd like to remind the public that the interim injunction order is still effective and any person who violates the order may be liable to an offence of contempt of court. Ocean Park has confirmed that its giant panda Yingying is not pregnant this year. It says Yingying had been showing signs of pregnancy since the middle of July, such as a reduced appetite and changes in hormone levels. But she's now back to normal, and an ultrasound scan has confirmed that she isn't pregnant. Ocean Park says that Yingying and Lele mated naturally in April for the first time in years, and it's hoped they'll give it another go in the next breeding season. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. UN experts have urged Beijing to review Hong Kong's national security law, saying it poses a serious risk to the SAR's freedoms. Richard Pine has the details. The human rights experts raised their concerns about the national security law in a 14-page open letter sent to the Chinese government. They write that the law infringes on certain fundamental legal rights and say it should not be used to restrict or limit freedoms, including the right to freedom of opinion, expression and of peaceful assembly. The experts also wrote of their concern that the law could be used to prosecute the legitimate activities of political activists and human rights defenders in the SAR. They called for a fully independent review of the law to make sure that it does comply with China's human rights obligations. The law was introduced on June the 30th and criminalizes secession, subversion, terrorism and colluding with foreign forces. Critics have argued the law is a further erosion of the freedoms promised to Hong Kong under the one country, two systems principle. But authorities in the SAR and Beijing insist the law is needed to ensure the city's long-term stability and prosperity. Pro-democracy lawmakers say 2,000 people will be phoned at random for an opinion poll on whether the camp should stay in LegCo for another year or boycott the extended term. Only the views of those who support the camp will be taken into account. Violet Wong reports. Seven lawmakers from the Democratic Party and five from the Civic Party, as well as Hong Kong First Claudia Mo, the Labour Party's Fernando Cheung and Xiu Ka Chen, who represents the social welfare sector, are vowing to follow the results of the phone poll. They say they'll stay in Lechko for another year if more than half of their supporters want them to, and they'll go if more than half want them to go. If the poll doesn't find a majority back either position, more discussions will be carried out. Poster Robert Chung's Public Opinion Research Institute and the Chinese University's Public Opinion Survey Center have been asked to conduct the survey from September the 21st, with the results expected the following week. Dr. Chung says those polled will need to say whether they support any of the 15 lawmakers because they've decided not to consider the views of those who don't back them anyway. Democratic Party Chairman Wu Qiwai says they are setting the bar at 50% and not higher to stave off any claims that they are trying to avoid a boycott. A lot of the opinion said that, well, the threshold itself seems for the pandemic supporter is too high and has a lot of conspiracy saying that the threshold itself simply put up and for us to rely on to stay in the legislative um, council. So we want to take away that kind of disputes and conspiracy. And as a result, we propose to lower down the vessels to have all our supporters say, we have to leave, then we will leave. 
Mr. Wu says they hope to get people talking about the issue in the meantime, and he also hopes more pandems will agree to follow the results of the poll. Some of them has already announced their positions. Some of them will take our、uh, opinion poll result as another reference for their decisions. So up to this moment, I can only say that we have 15 pandemocrats peoples will join the opinion polls and follow the results. But of course, the remaining two weeks. We may get another、uh, some other peoples to join the opinion polls, so I won't say that's the end of the story. But we'll try hard and hope that more and more peoples、mm. will join our opinion polls. People powers Ray Chen and Chu Hoidik from the Land Justice League have already said they want to leave Lashko, saying they don't have a mandate to stay. Now this month's polls have been scrapped, and Beijing has extended the council's current term by another year. Gyms, clubhouses, and massage parlours have reopened their doors today as the government eases coronavirus restrictions. But some trades that are still ordered shut are crying foul, accusing the government of double standards. Joanne Wong reports. Restaurants can now open until 10 o'clock at night, but the city's bars all remain shut under orders from the government, and the sector isn't happy. Chen Chen Wang, vice chairman of the Hong Kong Bar and Club Association, says it's a case of bias and double standards. He doesn't understand why restaurants that also serve alcohol can open for business, while bars have to be shut. Children's playrooms and entertainment centers are also still closed, though they say they're more than ready to reopen. The Hong Kong Family Centers Trade Association says businesses are ready to take precautions. Above and beyond what's required, including taking down the contact numbers of all patrons, it says they can close high-risk facilities like ball pits, provide disposable gloves to customers, and boost disinfection measures. Spokesman Alan Tang is baffled as to why the government thinks playrooms are riskier than other businesses. To compare with other operators or other places, why our risk is a little bit lower or、uh, lower than their operations? I think the most important point is we can always wear masks, and no direct contact. This is the main point. You see the massage; they have to personal touch, and for those restaurants, customer has to be remove their mask to take food. He says around 90% of operators are struggling so much they haven't been keeping up with paying the rent, and many are on the brink of collapse. His association estimates the industry is losing more than 60 million dollars a month due to the forced closures. Lawmaker Xiu Kafei, who represents the wholesale and retail sectors, says these business owners are desperate to reopen. Their industry has shut down their shop for nearly 93 days. How can they survive without any income? So I think government they have to balance for the、um, the citizen health and also the economy. He says, while it's crucial for the government to provide more financial help for these businesses, it's also important to give them the ability to generate income to stay afloat. Many publishers are said to be having second thoughts about taking part in the book fair, which has been postponed until December because of the pandemic. Only about 140 exhibitors have signed up, compared to more than 600 in previous years. Wendy Wong has more. The fair was meant to take place in July, but at the last minute, it was rescheduled for December the 16th to the 22nd due to the COVID-19 situation. Jimmy Pang, a spokesman for the 2020 Hong Kong Book Fair Concern Group, says booksellers are in a dilemma over whether to sign up again or not. 
He says they want the business, but they are worried about preparing for the event, being as it could end up being called off again. Mr. Pan says even if the fair goes ahead in December, it could turn out to be somewhat of a desolate affair due to coronavirus risks and the poor state of the economy. He says he expects visitor numbers to be 40% lower than if the event was held in the summer like normal. He also expects people's spending power to weaken in a few months' time as some are losing their jobs. The Hong Kong Trade Development Council, which organizes the fair, says it will assess the pandemic situation and make a final decision a week ahead of the planned date for the event. More than 4,000 local employers, including media agencies and pharmacy chains, have become the latest recipients of the government's pandemic wage subsidies. Almost $1.4 billion is being handed out. Companies receiving some of the highest amounts include health and beauty retail chain Watson's, which gets $71 million, Apple Bailey, which gets $20 million, and rival paper Takung Pao, which gets $6 million. Time now for sport and a look ahead to the weekend's football with the BBC's John Bennett. The Premier League returns next Saturday and this weekend the focus in Europe is on international football and the Nations League. England's opponents will bring back some bad memories for them. They face Iceland who knocked them out of Euro 2016 in one of the most stunning results of that tournament. Manager Gareth Southgate is missing his key defender Harry Maguire but has rewarded two of the most promising young Premier League players with call-ups. Manchester United's 18-year-old striker Mason Greenwood, who scored 17 goals last season, and 20-year-old Manchester City star Phil Foden. Aston Villa captain Jack Grealish is also in the squad for the first time. In the same group, Belgium, packed with star names like Kevin De Bruyne and Romelu Lukaku, take on Denmark. Elsewhere, world champions France and European champions Portugal are in the same group. Manchester United striker Anthony Martial is back in the France squad for the first time since March 2018 as they face Sweden. Portugal take on 2018 World Cup runners-up Croatia. Meanwhile, on Sunday in Nations League A, Group 4, Spain hosts Ukraine and Germany take on Switzerland. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Guests and staff at a Moncock Hotel are being moved into quarantine after another coronavirus infection there. The government extends its territory-wide testing programme. And a civil servant is arrested on suspicion of conspiring to kill police officers. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The High Court has ordered the Town Planning Board to reconsider a development project at wetlands in northern Yuen Long, saying the body illegally approved a plan by CK Asset Holdings to build 2,000 flats there. WWF Hong Kong had originally agreed to participate in a public-private partnership with the developer to conserve and enhance the ecological value of the site at Funlok Way. But the group pulled out just before the board considered the proposal in 2013. Roy Tam from GreenSense filed a judicial review the year after, and now a court has ruled that the required conservation plan and funding arrangements were not in place when the project was given the go-ahead. Wu Ming Chuan from the Birdwatching Society told Jim Gould that it's important that the plan be looked at again. I think it is really 
really important because I think at that time when the Tampai board approved the application, it was really controversial because the PDP approach wasn't really satisfied because WWF, which had the collaboration with the developer, they dropped out right before the Tampai board decision. And so when the decision was made at the time at that moment, WWF weren't with the developer anymore. So it wasn't really a PPP approach. And we are also worried that the developer themselves couldn't reach the conservation objectives of the whole development. And we are also worried that what kind of NGO they would kind of collaborate with. So that's why I think this judgment is important so that the discussion can be going back to the Townhand board and so that we can monitor the developer if they can meet the PPP approach and if a suitable NGO can be found to collaborate with the developer. And if not, then they should kind of revise the development plan or the, the scale because I think the development itself is already very controversial. I mean, talking about 19 blocks within the wetland conservation area close to the Ramsar site is already controversial enough. And also there is a discovery back in 2011, there was a discovery of the endemic mypobentwing fireflies. And that was also another concern besides the impacts on birds. And there's also the impact on the endemic firefly. And so I think a lot of the discussion and other judgment has to go back to the discuss to the board to to, to discuss and to re reevaluate if the, the application should be approved or not. Because, of course, the, the Town Planning Board said during the hearing that you can't protect wetlands from development uh, forever. Um, what did you think about that argument? I think it depends on how you define what is development and what scale and what intensity of development that you're talking about and what in population you're bringing into this kind of sensitive area. I think the current scale that they're talking about, it's undesirable and it has been causing other developers in other areas within similar zoning. They are generating like false hope to other landowners or developers that they can develop in such a scale like high-rise residential blocks, talking about 19 or 20-something blocks within the wetland conservation area. And there's an example already like in Namsan Wai. The developer already put in two applications, high-rise development and they are, it's also within the W um, the wetland conservation area and they have been adopting some of the um, tactics that has been used uh, within the Fulot Way development and so I think the Fulot Way case is kind of setting a, a precedent for, for other similar developments within the debate area and that's why this ruling is important but I think we also have to keep an eye on the how, how things are going because it is we, we still I think we still need to monitor the, the condition and also the development scale and, and what the Tampin board are, um, are discussing or, or on what grounds they are doing their decisions. Education activist Isaac Chang has accused the Catholic Diocese of surrendering to the government by telling its schools not to let pupils wear their uniforms during unapproved extracurricular activities. Mr Cheng told Francis Sitt that the church is clearly trying to prevent any future class boycotts or pupil protests. Most of the students 
students have to join the activity after school wearing the uniform because they are joining the activity right immediate after class time. So they are banning students to wearing uniform going to join any activities in order to restrict their freedoms of going anywhere after school. Wearing any kind of clothes is the freedom and the rights of a student. And a lot of students are not only going to protest, but going for, for example, tutorial class. So if you're saying that joining those activities has to be approved by the schools, this is not reasonable. And this is hilarious somehow for the Hong Kong society. So we think that this is actually targeting the past year's event and we urge that not to ban the students of wearing uniform joining any kind of activities and actually students have emphasized that they are not representing the schools for joining those activities but they are only wearing uniforms now, there have also been uh, several incidents recently surrounding the Catholic diocese. For example, uh, recently a Catholic group has to drop a crowdfunding campaign to run a post-national security law prayer for Hong Kong in a local newspaper because the diocese kind of pushed back. So do you see a sign that the Catholic diocese is kind of tightening its stance surrounding what can be done and what can't be done in regards to political events or events in society? And are you concerned about these recent events? Actually, previously, the Catholic society is quite liberal. But nowadays, uh, I think they are already stepped back. They are not defending freedoms anymore. So they will send letters to the school that they have to teach the national security law and teach them how to not join the illegal events. Or even this time, the crowdfunding events have to be withdrawn. So I think this created a atmosphere for the Catholic schools that the decades of freedoms have been passed and this time you have to listen to the government and listen to the Catholic society's head. The German Chancellor Angela Merkel is under growing domestic pressure to end her support for the German-Russian Nord Stream 2 pipeline project over the confirmed poisoning of the Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. The German Green Party has called on the Chancellor to use the nearly completed infrastructure project to press the Kremlin into answering allegations over what Mrs Merkel called the silencing of Navalny with a Novichok nerve agent. Anna-Marie Evans asked RTHK's London correspondent Gavin Gray whether Mrs Merkel would be cancelling the project. It's not looking like it anytime soon, but the pressure, I think, is certainly mounting on the Chancellor after one of her top allies, uh, Norbert Rupkin, uh, said that the deal must be considered. Now, it is a huge deal, it is very expensive, it is uh, very controversial, and it is also one that President Trump has said must be cancelled. He, of course, has had spats with Germany over Germany's contribution to NATO, which uh, Trump says is not sufficient enough, and now he's saying that uh, this is a, a bad deal. He's already put into place that any company dealing uh, with Gazprom uh, will effectively face uh, virtual uh, tariffs and isolation, imposing sanctions on those firms uh, involved in this project. Now, why is Germany sort of uh, up in arms about Navalny's uh, uh, poisoning and why is Navalny in Berlin? Well, originally he was uh, taken ill in Russia, having just boarded a flight at Tomsk Airport. Uh, he went to a hospital in uh, uh, 
Russia, and Dr. Zare said he was ill, um, but uh, this was something that uh, they thought was a natural substance, and uh, he might have even taken it himself. Originally, they denied uh, Alexei uh, Navalny's uh, family and indeed his support team access to him. That was overturned. They then denied uh, the appeal from the family that he should be transferred to a German hospital, uh, but then they overturned that, and eventually uh, he was flown in a gravely ill condition to the intensive care unit at Berlin's uh, Charité Hospital, um, and uh, he remains there. He was put into a coma. He's still seriously ill. Doctors there are saying he probably will get better, um, but he may well uh, have long-term life uh, uh, damaging effects from it. So the Kremlin saying, well, we don't accept this diagnosis from the German hospital and the German uh, doctors saying that he was poisoned with Novichok. And of course, here in the UK, the very word Novichok sends a uh, shiver of uh, uh, down our spines, Anne-Marie, because of the Sergei Skripal attempted murder. It's five years since the height of Europe's migrant crisis. When a million people travelled from the Middle East and North Africa, thousands drowning on the way to what they perceived to be a better life. Italy was one of the principal destinations and migration deepened divisions there, leading to the far right entering government. The BBC's Mark Lowen has been to Sicily and the tiny island of Lampedusa, which is still struggling to cope with migrant arrivals. This sprawling reception centre behind rusty grey iron gates is the first taste of Europe for hundreds of migrants newly arrived here in Lampedusa. Italy's southernmost island has long been one of the gateways to Europe and still now over a thousand are lying inside here on makeshift mattresses, clothes spread around or hanging on the barbed wire to dry. Their dreams of a new life in Europe held here, watched over by armed guards. Through the gate, Hamza tells me he wants to get to France to work to help his wife and daughter in Tunisia. He knows of nine cases of coronavirus in the camp. We took the risk of dying at sea. Now we're at risk of dying from coronavirus here. We left the misery of our country, but if I had known what misery there would be here, I would have stayed in Tunisia. Even life there is better than this. There are fears that several hundred people have drowned in the Mediterranean in what could be the largest loss of life during a crossing by migrants. Since the height of Europe's migration crisis in 2015, over 13,000 migrants aiming for Lampedusa have died, bundled by smugglers into overcrowded boats, drowning in the graveyard of the Mediterranean. Musica. La, la, la. But Stephanie Samuel, a Nigerian fleeing Libya, made it, giving birth on board an Italian rescue ship to her daughter called Francesca Miracle. Do you like it? Do you like it? Yes. 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 The BBC met them five years ago, and now we're back to see a playful five-year-old and her settled mother. Was everything you went through worth it? Yes, it was it, because... Most of people, they are dreaming to be like my shoe. Like, ah, you have, uh, you have kids outside the country. So I think you are blessed. You are lucky. So I think I too, I should be, I should be happy for that. 
What would be your message to migrants in Libya or in Nigeria who are still trying to make it to Europe? I, I have to tell them not to because I may have the luck, they may not have it because I know many of my friends die in that sea. So it is a very, very dangerous journey. On a dusty gravel path, about an hour away from Catania in mainland Sicily, I'm outside this disused military base, ringed with barbed wire. And inside, there are white tents being built by the Red Cross, with a plan to turn this into a shelter for migrants, possibly up to three or four hundred of them perhaps a quarantine facility for those who test positive for coronavirus. It's a very visible sign that the migrant crisis hasn't gone away, creating some resentment from those around. Pietro Messina is the local representative for the far-right League Party. The European Union has left Italy to handle the migration issue alone, and at the same time, Italy is leaving its regions like Sicily on their own. There's a danger to public order and now also a health risk. If we must host migrants here who test positive and are sick, what if they flee? Aren't you fanning the flames of racism and hate by talking about a migrant invasion, I ask? No, we would use the same language if we were being invaded by the English or the French. If tomorrow a thousand French landed on Sicily's coast, I would also speak of an invasion. While many are in transit here, others are settling. This centre in Sicily, run by the church, teaches migrants Italian and helps them find jobs. Five years on, they are being woven into the fabric of modern Italy, enriching it in the eyes of some Italians, stoking divisions, according to others. Added to tensions over race and national identity is a global pandemic and economic crisis. It's an explosive mix. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Steve Dunson from our newsroom. This is Dr. Thomas Jung. To identify asymptomatic COVID-19 patients in a community for early isolation and treatment, the government is rolling out the Universal Community Testing Program, which offers a one-off free COVID-19 testing service for the public. Throat and nasal swabs will be collected for testing by trained healthcare staff. For the sake of your health and your family, please join this free testing program. Protect yourself and others. Join the Universal Community Testing Program. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Oh yes, this is it. Time for you to take it easy, relax, enjoy. Whatever you're doing, maybe lying down or sitting in your easy chair. Enjoy nostalgia from now until 1 a.m.
that was the famous Schubert serenade. Liberace at the piano. Can love you to 